0: Welcome again to Life is Wonderful. Love podcast, where we talk about recovery, healing, life. Do you want to live your best life? <laughs> Don't we all? That's what we're here for building self awareness so everyone can live their best life. Today, we have the pleasure of having Rocky M. join us. How are you doing, Rocky?
1: Doing fantastic, Hugh. Glad to be here.
0: Good, good. Like we always start, tell the audience one thing you love. You know what? I love my wife.
1: We've been married for 25 years, and uh, she is truly my best friend, Uh, my confident, uh, just, you know... It's great to have that kind of a relationship in your life. Uh, Somebody who um, you you trust to hold up the mirror to let you see uh, the real you and somebody who is both encouraging uh, and, uh, you know, and, and helps you with accountability. It's a, it's a great kind of partnership and I love my wife.
0: Excellent. Yeah. You always want to have a, a lover partner wife a uh, husband that's also kind of like a best friend that you can enjoy things uh, and it's not just about one thing that it should have a, a number of facets to it makes the relationship that much deeper definitely so so let's get into the questions question number one you know i'm a you know, compulsive gambler in recovery. You're also a compulsive gambler in recovery. So, you know, we met in recovery. Question number one, what does living in recovery mean to you?
1: Well, I, th- I think the first thing that you have to do is differentiate living in recovery versus living in abstinence. Um, I would kind of argue that abstinence is the tip of the iceberg, it's impossible to live in recovery uh, until and unless you have abstinence from the addiction. But once you have abstinence, then shifting from there to recovery means kind of three things to me. Um, constantly working on elimination of character defects is one. Uh, a second is constantly working to incorporate the 12 steps into life, not just into stopping an addiction, is the second thing, and then the third is constantly working at engaging with community uh, to assist with uh, the two things above—you know, character defects and the steps. Um, you know, I—I I mean, I think that that last piece is really important. At least it was for me as a compulsive gambler. Um, you know, while I did do some gambling at sports bars and with uh, friends, um, the reality is when you're deep in your addiction, there's a lot of shame uh, because, you you know, in your uh, kind of deepest part of your soul that what you're doing is self-destructive. And at some point, it's not about fun. It's about just surviving. And, um, you know, so... Uh, so, at, at the end of my gambling career, a lot of my gambling, I'd say 90% of my gambling, was done in isolation. And I think addicts in general, but compulsive gamblers specifically, uh, feel very comfortable uh, practicing that addiction in isolation. And so, the, the shift from being an isolated compulsive gambler to being somebody in recovery involves uh, fellowship and, and community. Uh, in my case with, you know, through Gamblers Anonymous. Um, but uh, I, I think anybody who's actually trying to live in recovery uh, will find that it's virtually impossible to do uh, on an island. Um, you know, we've got to, our, our problem, I think, as addicts, is not necessarily the addiction. I think the addiction is a symptom of a, a, a deeper issue. And In my case, I would say the issue is I really had a hard time with life Uh, and living life without a crutch was my real difficulty and gambling was my crutch. And so as you get rid of that crutch, you really need something to replace it. And uh, I think if it's not community, then you get stuck in abstinence and you never get to recovery.
0: Yeah, I agree with you. Yeah, and it's almost... it evolves. You know, when you first come in, you don't quite understand kind of what recovery is or abstinence is. And, but yeah, like you said, you got to do that abstinence first as you start to learn about life and learn about the program. All right, let's go to question number two. Like we talked about, you're a compulsive gambler. And you've seen the gambling industry grow and grow. I mean, you can't turn around on the television. You can't walk down the news, whether it's the news, a game, uh, anything. There's some form of gambling. So as the gambling industry grows and grows, much more gambling in our face than when we've gambled, because we both we haven't both, neither, neither of us have gambled over 20 years. In your case, I think 30 years. Uh, how do you see gambling now in society and how it entices people or, you know, or, you know, what do you see about the whole gambling industry right now in the state of Texas or in the U S?
1: Well, I, I think it's way bigger than gambling, to be honest with you. Um, I mean, you're absolutely right. When, uh, when you and I were kind of in action, there wasn't, uh, there was not internet gambling. In fact, when I was gambling, they didn't even have the lottery in Texas, um, but we did have bookies. And so, you know, picking up the phone and placing a bet, it, it, you know, it really did not require you to go out to Vegas or Atlantic City to make a bet. So it's it's definitely gotten easier, but it's easier to practice a whole range of addictions. I mean, uh, you know, when uh, you and I were growing up, uh, you know, Playboy and Penthouse were behind the counter in the 7-Eleven. And if you wanted anything kind of steamier than that, you had to go to, uh, you know, adult bookstore, uh, you know, way out west, timer behind bars where they were going to check your ID before you could get in. You know, now a nine-year-old can punch a computer three times and see worse stuff than we could ever have seen uh, in an adult bookstore when we were in our our, our teens. Um, so, you know, same with, uh, with food. I mean, uh, I, you know, I remember growing up, Uh, It was a treat when my parents would take us to a Chinese restaurant, you know, to go out to dinner. Uh, You know, my kids have grown up, uh, you know, eating out meals five, six times a week. Um, And so in one sense, I would say that uh, all of this has some element of good in that uh, a lot of the stigma that was attached to addiction uh, has been uh, diminished. but. Uh, but diminishing the stigma has not diminished the addiction, and that's the real problem. Um, and so, you know, uh, I mean, 37 percent of Americans are obese. Another 32 percent are overweight. Uh, so, you know, access to eating out all the time and more fast food and more more meals prepared outside the house. Um, you know, it's not, it doesn't all uh, lead to an elimination of addiction. Uh, You know, some of the stigma is gone because we've figured out that not everybody who drinks becomes an alcoholic. Not everybody who smokes pot becomes a, you know, a a drug addict. Not everybody who watches porn becomes a porn addict. Um, But generally speaking, I think there's, you know, more and more addicts as these things become more and more available. So, you know, in a, in a world where there is no more stigma and, uh, you know, you can turn on HBO and see soft porn, you know, what, what's the requirement to, uh, you know, get towards, uh, recovery. And, um, you know, I, I, I do believe that for every addict surrender is the first step, uh, admitting that you're powerless over, over the problem. But I also think that we don't talk enough about discipline. Um, you know, self-control is, is, is a joke. Um, the only way uh, that discipline, I believe, works in my life is through routine. And um, uh, I, I think you need routine to develop discipline, whether it's the routine of, you know, waking up early every morning so that you can have what I call my time with God time of solitude to do some, you know, reflection and to think about, uh, you know, where, where yesterday went wrong and what I want to do differently, uh, you know, today, um, you know, discipline about going to the gym, uh, you know, back in 2007, I, you know, found out I had a blockage in uh, one of my coronary arteries that they affectionately called the widow maker. Um, you know, I had a stint put in my heart and I was in my forties and had, you know, a wife and three young kids. Um, you know, I started working out three days a week and, you know, 15 years later, I'm still working out three days a week. I've been through five different trainers, but, um, I've never moved away from my three day a week workouts in the gym with a trainer, um, over those 15 years, uh, There are many days when I wake up and I do not want to go to the gym. Um, And, you know, I would say that self-control would never get me there. But being in a routine, uh, you do develop, you know, routines become habits and habits, you know, help with um, with with discipline. But so I I I think uh you know that's that's what I would argue is whether it's a discipline of working out or the discipline of going to a meeting, whether it's an AA meeting or a GA meeting or a you know what whatever kind of 12-step meeting, um, you know, there's plenty of times when I don't feel like going, and yet invariably the times I least want to go when I go are the times I feel the best. Man, that was an awesome meeting. Um so I think uh, I think I think we need to talk more about self-discipline through through routine um, as we talk about how we how we combat addiction in this world where there is no more stigma, stigma, everything's accepted. Um, and yet there's still a preponderance of addiction and addictive behavior.
0: I agree with you in you know, so many different things. So that routine is so needed. I mean, it's the reason why people almost have or or do better in academics if they have the routine of being involved on a sports team or why people can turn their lives around by going to the military. You know, just they get into a certain routine and then that tends to almost foster new ideas or just new habits, like you were saying. Uh, And it almost kind of leads us into the question number three. So then question number three, tell us the hardest thing to accept or understand about living the 12 steps or about living like in recovery. You've kind of alluded to this, but, you know, there's something else that you kind of want to add that maybe help for, you know, the people, like you said, that there's so many in, in addiction is, is we've seen a lot of people come in and, and then leave. What could, what do, what do you think, what could you, what do you see that could help them?
1: You know, um, hard uh you know, is difficult for me. I, I think in threes, not in ones. Uh, but the three things that come to mind for me are uh, self-awareness, uh, self-kindness, and, uh, you know, learning uh, what you can and cannot control. So just to expand on those three things, um, I, I think it's pretty easy to go through life without being very self-aware, you know, we all have blind spots. uh, But in addition to blind spots, I think we have things that we know are issues, but which we just don't want to think about and we sweep under the rug. And so um, the coming to grips with the concept that uh, living a life of recovery doesn't, uh, you know, mean that you just simply stop the, uh, the addictive behavior it means a continual progress in becoming the person that God designed you to become. And that means, you know, being aware of character defects, uh, you know, accepting that, you know, there's reasons and, and rationale why those developed. Um, and then, you know, working to, you know, overcome them where possible and, um, and, and being, you know, which leads me really to my second thing, which is, you know, I, I think the biggest problem that I've had as an addict is, um, you know, I say in meetings all the time, progress, not perfection. But in this concept of kindness to self, the, the self talk that I engage in is so much harsher than anything I would ever say to somebody I sponsor or somebody in a meeting. The expectations of perfection. Uh, that, that I have for myself lead to a real harshness with self. And so I think a big part of living in recovery is really internalizing that progress, not perfection and getting to a point where, um, you're as kind to yourself about your stumbles and your, uh, you know, relapses as you would be to a fellow addict in, in the program. Um, and that kind of you know leads into my my third point, which is I think the other thing that's been really difficult for me and for a lot of addicts is that uh, you know really accepting the fact that most things in life are out of my control. About the only thing I control is me. I don't control my wife. I don't control my kids. I don't control my boss. I don't control the people who work for me. Um, I don't control the weather. I don't control the government. I don't control taxes. I mean, the list of things I don't control is almost limitless. And yet, uh, I think so much of my frustration in life, even after 30 years working the program, is I still want to control things that I can't control. I want the world to behave as I think it should behave. And when it doesn't, I get you know frustrated, angry uh, sad, um, you know, whole range of feelings. And so again, just to kind of sum it up, um, you know, the, the awareness that, uh, you know, recovery means constant work on elimination of character defects that they're never going to be eliminated. So being able to be kind with yourself and accepting, truly accepting progress rather than perfection And then coming to grips with the fact that uh, there's nobody else that I can control. And there are many, many, many situations that are totally outside of my control. About the only thing that I have control over is, you know, fixing myself and and kind of a virtuous circle. (laughs) It's hard to fix yourself if you aren't aware of what's wrong, which, you know, takes you right back to you got to continue to work on that self-awareness become more and more aware of, uh, of those blind spots. And, you know, I think all those things get uh, easier with community, but, you know, finding people that you can uh, trust to, uh, you know, be, be truth tellers and cheerleaders is a, uh, you know, it's, it's difficult to find those folks. So anyway, I don't know if that's one thing that's hardest, but those are the things that I've found have been, um, you know, difficult to, uh, to really saying, I live in recovery every single minute of every single day.
0: Well, yeah, you're supposed to just answer the question is how you hear it and how you process it. But yeah, all those things are words of wisdom. Like I say, uh, you know, life is wonderful. Love, you know, we, I'm mainly just trying to empower people through self awareness, and I'm, I'm fully in agreement that. That self-awareness is the key because, you know, we can easily take other people or other things inventory, but it's a little harder to take our own sometimes. <laughs> but, you know, I appreciate the time this, uh, this day, Rocky. I appreciate your answers. And so there you have it. Some words of wisdom from Rocky about recovery, addiction and how he sees things.
1: Thanks very much for having me, Hugh. It's a great thing that you're doing.